Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Sandspants Radio, Australia's most procedurally generated podcast network. Hey everyone, welcome to Bookish. This is a show where we ask you, what's your story and what does it say about you? I'm George Dimorellis and on the show today we have comedian, trans woman and voice of a generation, Anna Piper Scott. How are you doing? I am doing wonderfully, George. How are you? I'm good. Thank you, Anna. Uh, I love that uh, that, <laughs> that introduction. It's fantastic. <laughs> I keep sending it to people and I really get surprised when they read it out. It, it sounds <laughs> like you're I'm enjoying like, it as well. I'm like, call me the voice of a generation. And people are like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> it's, it's almost like, what else can I add on to this? Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm going to end up with a Daenerys sort of style of intro yeah. names. That's yeah, it. just Stormborn, Voice of a Generation. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a good way to start, but yeah. Well, Mother what? of Queers. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I see you're already getting it now, right? Um, thank you for being on the show. I'm, uh, I feel like I want to give some context here because it's amazing. I have visited Anna in her place and... You moved in a week ago. Moved in a week ago. Right now, I'm staring at the most well-stacked, well-ordered bunch of bookcases you've ever seen for someone who moved in anywhere a week ago. This is three... No, three... I'm going to go with four full bookcases, basically, because there's three big ones and then yeah. two little ones. There's three two-meter tall... Two-and-a-half-meter-tall bookcases oh. filled with my fiction. Um, I currently have all my non-fiction books on the floor waiting for another bookcase from Ikea tomorrow. I have my graphic novel section and I have an entire section dedicated to Stephen King because I am that kind of person, apparently. <laughs> yeah, that is, um, And we're going to go into that, don't we? <laughs> what yeah. that means. I love that you've got a whole Stephen King section. And I love, again, uh, for anyone who uh, listening, if you can imagine it, there are like display books open on the top of the bookshelf, like bigger books that are like open like in a bookstore because... You used to work yeah, in bookstores. Yeah, I, I worked in bookstores for almost 10 years. So I, I, I've got a lot of visual merchandising on display in my bedroom. Uh, books stacked sideways, books stacked face out. It's, oh, there's actually there's a system to this. Yeah, this is, this is what you do in bookstores to make books more appealing and easy to browse and kind of, you know, a way to display new releases and stuff like that. Really? Whereas I just use it to highlight some of my favorites. Or oh, so that's that, actually a conscious decision you're doing. I'm like, I want to show this sideways to make sure people can read the title. Well, I mean, the sideways ones are usually the series or like ones I've got a lot of the same author. So if you look over that way, I've got a big stack of John Scalzi's Old Man's War series. No. My little sci-fi nerdery section. Yeah. Oh, is, it, is, it, is this into sections of sci-fi versus... No, no, it's just alphabetical by author. Alphabetical by author, of course. I mean, of course. I mean this okay. might be something we get into, but I, I've 
I've I've wanted to categorize my books uh, by genre. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm that kind of nerd who likes to categorize things. Of just kind of like I want to have my horror section and my sci-fi section and the literature section or whatever. Yeah. But I also find that I have a tendency to buy books that cross genres in ways that make them difficult to categorize. Oh right, you know? okay, right. Something could be like horror literature. Or, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, for instance, John Scalzi, who I just mentioned, I've got a book of his called Lock In, which is a crime novel and a sci-fi novel. And you're like, well, do I put that in my crime section? Do I put that in my sci-fi section? How sci-fi? It's like the story is really just like a detective kind of crime like novel, but it's set in this future where um, people have, uh, there's been this plague that's put people into like a lock-in syndrome where they're trapped in their bodies. And those people use robot avatars to go out and kind of like, you know, live in the world. So it's kind of like this future world where there's like robots and stuff like that. But that's kind of like background to solving this murder. Okay, look. Then I'm gonna. You know, I'm glad we get. Finally, we're touching on topics that mean a lot to me <laughs> after like this many episodes. Sci-fi's got to change as a genre because there is no such thing. What's a sci-fi thing apart from like it's maybe a space opera? But even that's a genre that's within sci-fi. So, like, what is a sci-fi novel technically? You know what I mean? No, I have. I don't know what you mean. What, what do you mean? Because every sci-fi isn't what's what defines it as sci-fi, apart from the fact that it's science fiction, is in its spec, it's in space, or there's aliens or science. But apart from that, there you, you could have a horror one, you could have a like light-hearted romp, you could have a comedy, you could have serious literature, you could have all that stuff. Yeah, and it's all chucked under this one banner. It's an insult. Yeah, well, I mean, Genre, that's the same know, thing. Genreism with... is that a phrase? Genreism. Yeah, can be now. Genreism. I mean, I, I. I... I think there's definitely, like, something you can go into and expect with science fiction in the vast majority. And the same thing with fantasy. You know, there's those fantasy novels. You're like, okay, I'm going to go in and go, like, okay, there's going to be magic, but there's also going to be knights and swords and kings and queens and feudalism and all these other things. And and they aren't necessarily needing to be part of the fantasy genre, but they are. And the same thing with science fiction. Like, it can just be about, like, robots, but it's, it's often robots in space and future and there's always wars happening and stuff like that and they're usually they're usually both adventure novels you know i feel like sci-fi classic is always going to be an adventure story of some kind you know okay and and like uh, because i I would say adventure unless specified otherwise unless it's you know sci-fi crime like i've just pointed out yeah yeah yeah. you know okay i I definitely think that fantasy has more unifying trappings than sci-fi i think sci-fi is just very very broad I yeah. mean, even your boy, Stephen King, he uh, could fall under that for some of his stuff, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, he wrote the Dark Tower series, which is a fantasy series, but also has like parallel worlds, which is very science fiction. Um, he's written, you know, some of his books are clearly, you know, sci-fi stuff like uh, Cell or Tommy Knockers is a bit of a sci-fi one. Yeah. He's, he's kind of crosses all over the place. Yeah. That's one of the things I like about 112263. That's clearly a science fiction novel. That's a time travel one. That's the one about the uh, JFK assassination, right? Yes. Is, is that new? Uh, it's one of his newer ones. It's I think came out about five, six years ago, mm. um, which in Stephen King terms is probably about 12 novels ago. <laughs> he is crazy prolific. Okay. so <laughs> Actually, before we go into talking about your book, were, did you, were you always an order geek? You always love things stacked in order, or is it just specifically to books, or is it to everything? Uh, I, I like it, I think, with books, because I buy a lot of books that I haven't read yet, 
So it's very much when I'm kind of browsing, I want to be able to like find it easily. I get very kind of anxious when I go to people's houses and they have a large book collection, but it's just kind of like put in whatever order they bought it in. Or I'm like, how do you find it when you want to read it? You know how? Oh, well, I mean, I've got a st- my sh- I've got one shelf which is the unread shelf generally. Yeah, and then I've got everything else. Is it in in order? <laughs> Why? Because it takes time, you know? This, I mean, I unpacked this a week ago. It's an entire fiction section. Like you said, three massive bookcases, and it took me an hour maybe to organize. And that's, you know, almost a thousand books. Look, it's, it is a lot of books. <laughs> You're putting me to shame with that, right? But you have to be, so you have to empty it as well. Uh, so it's more like two hours. Yeah. Like, it's just, and- I don't know. I, I find it kind of like, very ritualistic. It's kind of, you know, it's like Japanese people making tea, that kind of, you know, just very methodical and ritualistic. Yeah, and yeah. you get that kind of like soothing Zen state out of it. Just like chopping the bonsai tree and stuff like that. Yeah. It. You're just like, yeah, yeah. You get that feeling. Just, of- yeah, very peaceful type mm. thing to just feel like everything's in order, everything has its place. And if I want to find it, I can. I, and I think when your book collection gets as unwieldy as mine has, you need to have some kind of system. Otherwise, yeah. it's just chaos. Look, I think, yeah, having this in stacks, like even your so far unstacked uh, nonfiction section is looking a bit wild compared to the rest. But I yeah. got a feeling it's still... Is it in order? Have you got that in order already? No, it's not in order, <laughs> but I, I remember the order it was in. <laughs> okay, right. Well, Alphabetical is pretty easy to keep track. Okay. <laughs> but no, nonfiction was easy to break up. Nonfiction was easy to break up into little genres. So I had my science section and then my political section and then my current affairs, social justice section, you know, all those... Okay. Yeah, yeah. So social justice and political, two different things? Yeah. Yeah, they can be. Okay. Yeah. Well, seems like you're... And history and po- political, that's two different things? I yeah. Guess. I mean, there, there's some fuzzy boundaries on them, but... My, Just pointing out there seems to be some fuzzy boundaries there. <laughs> I, I mean, this is the dilemma of every person who's ever worked in a bookstore. Yeah, yeah. But I, th- I find the interesting books are always the ones where you don't know exactly where you want to put it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Which is like... Yeah, but like if it's crossing clearly between two or three genres or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Have you got an example of one like that? A classic like that? A classic like that? Oh, not that. a classic. Just the one that, you know, I'm trying to think of an example, you know, because I agree, I think. Actually, you know what? I'm not sure if I do agree, but I'm happy to hear different points of view because I'm like, if someone can do the best version of a genre almost, I'm like, that's impressive. I mean, so if I'm looking at my section at the moment, uh, Grady Hendrix is a good one where he writes um, horror novels that are also quite comedic. So um, there's Horror Store, which is a haunted house story set in Ikea. You're the second person to tell me about that of guests that I've had on. It's Isn't that a amazing? real fun book. Yeah. And then there's My Best Friend's Exorcism by the same person, which is a high school drama type thing, like a babysitter's type book but with cross with the exorcist yeah you know I, I find that kind of you know like is that a comedy book is that a horror book where do i put that same with the dexter series that's kind of horror kind of crime yeah yeah which i've got there you know i, I wouldn't say they're necessarily the best books but they're very entertaining like the tv show apparently the the tv show is trash oh, um <laughs> but the the dexter books know that they're a joke the Dexter TV show doesn't. <laughs> Took itself way too seriously? Yeah, whereas the Dexter books are just kind of like, he's a serial killer who fights crime, and that's inherently hilarious. Ha ha ha. Whereas, you know, the TV show is like, isn't this the most gritty thing ever? Like, no. Isn't this complex and, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. I just, uh, and uh, the the Feed series by Mira Grant, that's a, a zombie series, but it's also about politics. It's a kind of this group tracking an election in the middle of a zombie apocalypse or in the aftermath of a zombie apocalypse where it's just kind of like zombies are a fact of life and we have to, you know, elect the next president. Okay. And all the kind Sounds of- weirdly relevant to today. Yeah. And it is really, yeah, interesting to kind of go like, okay, explore all that stuff amidst everything else. I, yeah. I, I, I love these books that just kind of like, they're not quite <laughs> yeah, yeah, one yeah. thing or another thing. Okay. No, that's cool. Yeah, I, th- I think we're going 
this is definitely a, a do you any dark dirty secrets from the world of book bookstores Anyone? Dark, dirty secrets. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I feel like there's a lot of people here who would be like, because I would say there's a dream, you know. I, I, there's a part of me that's always thought how good it would be to work in a bookstore, sit there, you know, read all day. People walk in, you're like, hey, can I recommend anything? Yeah. I don't know why know. people think that. <laughs> like, it, like, no one goes to like, oh, it'd be great to work at KFC, you get to eat fried chicken all day. Like, no, it's, it's a product. You have to sell it. You don't get to consume it, you know. <laughs> You're telling me you weren't reading books constantly when you were sitting in there. No, I would get there. There were a lot of great ways to get cheap and free books out of it, but you would be reading them in your free time. You weren't paid to read, you know. Well, you got to work in a much quieter bookstore. <laughs> That's your problem. <laughs> no, but it's just like any bookstore is just kind of like any other retail job where, you know, you always have that management being like, you've got time to lean, you've got time to clean, you know, that kind of... Really? You okay. know, always you're, hustling, always doing stuff, always got to be on the move, you know. You're really um, shattering the romanticized vision. Yeah, I just people... Yeah, I'm just kind of like, it's a job. You have to work. <laughs> you know, you have to shelve, you have to clean, you have to return books, you have to get books back in. Um, yeah, I think... Okay, so I'm going to have to own my own bookstore. That's the only yes. way to do it. Okay. I mean, the great great thing that I think people don't realize about working in a bookstore that's really fun is that um, holding of advanced reader copies. Have you heard about that before? No. So, they want bookstore employees to be able to, like, when a book comes out, be able to proselytize yep. about it and be like, this book's fantastic. You have to read it. So, if you look closely at some of my books, you'll see stuff like this one here where it says March 2018 on it. Because that's the release date and it's a book that's been sent out in advance to a bookstore for free to give to employees. We read it, then get hyped up about it and then tell people. So, that's one of the reasons I have such a huge book collection is that a lot of these were free books sent to me by publishers who like want you to sell this and push this out to people. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I think actually, now you're describing a reason why maybe I wouldn't enjoy working in a bookstore as much because I've got like a very... Uh, I have a list of books that I want to read and usually I don't want to go too far outside of that. Like, I don't feel like I have time for bad books, which is like... I mean, you don't have to read it because that's the thing of just like we'd get sent this stack of free books and you kind of go through and be like, oh, this one looks great. This one looks great. And you can, if there's a book you know is coming out, you can request it. You request a reader's copy from the publisher and they'll send a free copy to the store for you to read. So I got to read like, you know, if I'm like excited for the latest book from my favorite author or whatever, I can request it and read it four months, five months before everyone else. It is such a niche geeky thing to be overjoyed about and I love it. Yeah, (laughs) it's great. And it means when it comes out. Just flick in your hair, you're like, yeah, I've read that uh, three months ago. Yeah, I mean, one of my favorite authors was um, Carolyn Kepnes who wrote You, um, which got turned into the the TV show, the the one about the stalker. I actually uh, just recently got onto that. It's a good show. It's a fun show. I thought it was very fun. I was surprised. I thought it was not going to be that great, but I'm like, no, no, I get it. This is this is having fun with. Yeah, it's not it's taking a, itself too seriously. It's actually one I really recommend because um, uh, I think we've. I'm not one of those people who insists you have to watch the TV show and read the book or read the book first or whatever, mm-hmm. but it's a really interesting one to read because they've really captured the tone of the books, but changed a lot of the plot details. Mm. So you can read the books and not be spoiled. Oh, right. Because some of the characters that, you know, are big important characters, especially in season two, are not in the books at all. Uh, not in the books at all? At all. Oh, okay, just kind right. of invented characters and just kind of like, what if we had this one character and just kind of like it spirals the plot and off in a completely different direction? Okay, yeah, so yeah. So you yeah. read the books and yeah, they're, they're faithful the to best, the tone, but not yeah, to the plot. which is exactly how any adaptation should be, right? Yeah. Yeah, like it annoys me when people like need that 
like page for page. Like I don't, I don't care if it's completely different to the books if it captures that elusive. But what is yeah. the tone? I guess that's the hard part. Or yeah, like, but or the the, the gist and the vo- the vibe and the point of it all. Yeah, I yeah, think yeah. that's why I get frustrated with um, a lot of nerds, especially in the comics uh, category, where they're just like they changed Spider Man's hair color. He's meant to be brown haired, and he's got like light brown hair instead. It's so different, you it's, know. Like, yeah. Just like, it's not the point. It doesn't matter, you know? Yeah, especially like as in the capturing of the one that happens more so is obviously when there's gender switching or race switching or anything like that. Yeah. And the argument I think a lot of people put forward is they're like, this character is that. If you're going to change that stuff, make a new character is what a lot of them, yeah. these angry crowds say, uh, which isn't like, I think that could be dropped to a point, like as in, you know. It's just it's it's whether or not you think that changes the character fundamentally because there, there, there's always going to be the like you're never going to capture it perfectly, um, but it's kind of one of those things of you know if you make this character black does that change fundamentally who this character is? If you made Black Panther a white guy, that'd be a big fundamental change. You know, a black <laughs> king of an Africa and a white king in Africa are very different things. That would be, hilarious. but you make <laughs> that would be taking the piss. So you, hard. Yeah, but you know what I mean. Like, but like, like that terrible economic decision. That's that would clearly be. important to who he is. You yeah. know, whereas if you make Spider Man into a black guy, it's just kind of like a poor kid in living in suburbs in New York who can't afford things and struggling to go from like how is any of that changed by him being black yeah 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 or think, you know yeah it's interesting I, I straight away my mind goes to uh, about james bond and how making him black and i think that works now in terms of where the world's gotten to now i think that does work yeah and the other they talk sometimes mention is making james bond female yeah that's where i'm like i don't see that as all reflective of the character anymore like that's a completely new character i don't know, you know it, I mean? it, it if if they can't, like, it's ne- it's never going to, like, not have any impact. But, you know, if they changed James Bond into a woman and then she was still a womanizer, you know, if she was still sleeping around, having those events, like, playing things exactly the same, I'm like, that'd be a really interesting movie to watch. That's an interesting take to you know? be doing it, yeah. So, it's like a, like a woman, but she's still sleeping with women. Yeah. <laughs> still- <laughs> yeah. As long as some women are still being objectified. Yeah, but it's like this can still work. Yeah, it's, I, that that you know, I just kind of like, and I think that kind of reveals something about who that character is as well. You know, when you kind of like make those changes and see like how it plays and how things are, are, are subtly affected, that kind of butterfly effect of making those little changes. That's an interesting uh, take on it. It's actually literally changing nothing but yeah the gender, but and, and that kind of like and and the implicit changes of that. And like it's just also we've seen James Bond as a man. We've seen it six times and like Mm. if you want to see that there's 20 something movies to watch Mm. where you get that why do you need one more like like i think why not do it with a woman and it might be fun it might be enjoyable you know or do it with a black guy or do it with a black woman you know yeah yeah. that'll be fun yeah no like that's interesting because like i i guess i i the other stuff still exists yeah 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 no i think it's definitely once it gets to a point where you're really scraping at the edges of what that thing is now. It's like there's nothing new really to say with it. Then it's like, why not change something like that just to see what new things it offers, I guess? Yeah. So it's almost an attitude of, like, if we feel like we've done it to death in every single possible way you can, as it is, to yeah. go in that direction. But then even maybe that's not necessary. Maybe you're like, oh, change it this way, then we can change it back, or whatever, I guess. That's but the, and, and I especially don't understand it with comics fans because comics have been doing this for years. You know, they do Spider-Man in high school, then they do Spider-Man as an adult trying to, you know, struggle as a journalist, and then they do him married, and they're like, actually, we're done with the married thing. Let's go back and put him in high school again and reset that timeline. There's so many, and, and they do alternate universe stories and 
future versions and parallel and like what ifs and like comics are all about kind of like tinkering and uh, and changing and like doing these reiterations of these characters again and again yeah re- re- rebirthing them in new forms yeah. and stuff and everyone's fine with that everyone's fine with it like oh you know in this version he's in high school in this version he's an adult in this version he makes the web out of his own you know skin in this version he makes some web shooters you know with his scientific technical genius whatever they're all fine with that mm make him gay or black or a woman and they're saying like, well, you can't change that you can change everything else but just not those three categories <laughs> like i think i okay uh i can again i can understand the thing like i guess like because it, those things are viewed as more fundamental to what the character is uh right or wrong that's how people kind of perceive that element of it yeah but um, i mean a, a prime example is superman Mm-hmm. If you turn around, you'll notice I have a big Superman fan. I got a Superman poster sitting on my wall there. I love Superman. That's my favorite, my favorite comic book character. Yeah, everyone would lose their ever-loving minds if Superman was made black or gay <laughs> or anything like that. A hundred percent. You make Superman a trans man or something like that, people will burn buildings down. They'll riot in the streets. Look, but. You One of it- the most revered Superman stories of all time is Superman Red Sun, where it's an olden universe version where they send Superman to Russia instead of Kansas mm-hmm. and let people love that. And that's it's, such a fundamental it's change. It's such a good story. Yeah. I love that one. But, that's you one know, everyone's like, yeah, make him Russian, make him a communist, you know, make him this, you know, paragon for this fascistic communist state, but make him black, gay or trans. And like, nah, can't have that. Can't have that change. That's too fundamental. <laughs> Look, I got to be honest. You are making me confront some of my own internal biases. Yeah, <laughs> and I don't know if I like it. This is meant to be about you, but I actually agree. I because even in my head, I'm like, I would give. I'm like, yeah, yeah everything else before Superman. Like he's, like, yeah, he's, he's the most American character yeah, of yeah. all time. But he, yeah, and, and just kind of like, and especially when you like, Superman's an immigrant story. Superman is about a guy who escapes this war-torn place that he came from that was being destroyed to come and like find a better life in america and live as an american citizen as though he was born there Mm. why couldn't he be played by someone who was spanish you know or mexican or latino or so you know Mm. like that would add so much to that immigrant story that it already clearly is be like you can't do that and that would bring out something that's already there, deeply woven in it. I guess, like, uh, I mean, to just devil's advocate at this point, basically, but you could almost argue it's, we're going on Superman. We still haven't, <laughs> we haven't discussed the Book of Choice. No, it's coming. Yeah. It's going to be in the, it's in the title. But uh, I guess that that the only thing that I would say against that, and this is actually another statement about what is a country and how much, especially a multicultural country where it's like changing its dynamics slowly over time. Uh, but it takes the subtext and makes it overt if you make superman like mexican or spanish like you said or something like that it's yeah. like it takes that immigrant story but instead of it being like you know any like it, it makes it it actually makes it less universal in a way because it's going to one of an actual race you know what i mean it turns into their story you don't than, think white's an actual race no no because <laughs> i guess what i mean is uh the story is about like someone who looks like who's again this is me Devil's advocating. Firstly, yeah. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not dying on this hill. I'm just yeah. raising this as an idea. But like the stories about someone who's there, but they are an immigrant, even though they fit in with society and stuff. They're fundamentally outside it uh, because of who they are. Which is actually why I rates. I don't see Superman's immigrant story in terms of the political aspect of immigration, but more in terms of the outsider feeling alone, feeling yeah. like you're different from everyone else. 
which like again element. could be really enhanced by him being trans or him being gay. You know, yeah, and this is me again talking with the bias that I have internally about. But uh, yeah, this is this is the the default kind of stereotype that people have yeah. of just kind of like where they think of um, white cisgender straight um, male as like the default, and and you know these things are universal. Uh, yeah, as in like this and is, then, this and is like, the baseline. Like, why, <laughs> this is, why this is not judging anything if it's this? Yeah, yeah the, 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 those are neutral. Yeah, they yeah, are yeah, choices exactly. as well. Yeah, 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 and, and very true. You know, it's just kind of like, why is it not still a universal story if he was trans? Like, why why is it not still a universal story if he's gay? It's still, you know, still falling in love. It's still love just like it is, you know, with you. And it's just kind of like, uh, why is it a universal story if he's white, but it's not a universal story if he's Latino, mm. you know? I mean, again, I'm not saying I'm, I'm not going completely against saying the opposite or whatever, but it's yeah. like there you would almost say it's the structure of, again, American society is still at this point is mostly white. Um, so you're saying it's still going within the average of that. And so I guess that's kind of, again, the counterpoint that people would say. And it, it, in 30 years, let's say, if it completely changes and you've got the majority is now Hispanic or whatever, then that discussion makes, you know what I mean? Like it changes that yeah. what that character is if it's no longer reflecting the majority Group, I mean, you know, I, I mean? I, which I'm not saying that's good or bad. I'm just saying that's kind of the logic, I guess. I'm not, a, you know, demographic statistical analysis, so I don't actually know what the majorities are in America. But you know, it's just a. I, I find it, you know, I mean, I can watch movies with black people and find you know, universality in that, and you know, uh, yeah, yeah, no, that's and I and I, I, <laughs> I keep I'll, like, risking be, making myself sound like I'm like no, I don't watch that at all. But like I, I like you know, I've even had recently. I've just like, I've watched stuff um, with my girlfriend who says I watched a documentary that's you know uh, was just on Netflix called Disclosure, um, all about trans people. And I watched it. It was totally deeply affected because it's about me. It's about my stories. It's all the kind of stuff that I was affected by. And then look over at her and she's crying too. I'm like, why are you crying? She's drawing her own experiences from it because even though she's not trans, she does relate to, you know, that kind of thing of wanting to be accepted, what, feeling excluded, you know, all these things that people people find universality and specificity mm. in everything, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and I think making a specific choice makes something more universal, not less. That's definitely, I agree. Uh, I mean, alien outside is still a specific choice. I'm just yeah. saying is in like... Okay. Uh, I guess one thing I do want to ask about that whole view, though, is that something you've had forever, or have you noticed a change maybe with obviously what happened, like transitioning and all that sort of thing? Or is that something you always had about the universality of stories and stuff like that? Is that um, I think that's definitely something I've noticed um, more. I mean, I feel like it's something, you know, I always felt I was always happy to hear all kinds of stories. And I thought, I've always thought that kind of, you know, diversity of any experience, not just, you know, the, you know, hot topic social justice top five or whatever but yeah, just kind yeah. of, you know like people from different countries people from different class backgrounds even people from different suburbs you know it's it's always more interesting when people get specific mm. but i've noticed that through performing and you know talking about my life and stuff like that when i transition i'm like i'm going to transition i'm going to talk about being trans and no one in the audience is going to laugh because no one's going to be able to relate and i found the opposite i found that you know talking about these very specific things that happen to only trans people get much better reactions than anything i was ever talking about beforehand really yeah so you notice that in terms of the reaction from the comedy side of things yeah from performing and from you know talking and telling my own stories and yeah is that uh because i think all all i mean who know you can dissect it any a million ways but i guess comedy comes from like obviously <laughs> situations that are strange or awkward or high emotion or ranging in that sort of situation. So I guess like 
because of the transition, maybe you confronted more with that extremity of that experience in some ways. Does that make sense? Not completely. No, you know what I mean? Like as in, uh, you're going to be able to draw from more examples. Uh, like I'm trying to say this and I'm not trying to, if I have any sound bad in what I'm saying, but like, I mean, you're going to be able to draw from more situations which are both heightened because maybe someone's saying something, which in this case is actually, you know, like uh, bigoted or yeah. it's just, it's dumb, but it's dumb on a deeper level almost than yeah. someone forgetting your milk. Like, I don't know. Like, you know what I mean? So you're still finding this, the humor is obviously, if you actually not boiled it down, you'd be saying this is the same type of joke in terms of this is about an awkward situation yeah. because it's heightened maybe because of the transition stuff like that and you're having to deal with both confusion or someone bumbling like I am right now or yeah. whatever, it's just immediately heightens the scenario, which then makes it funnier. Do you get what I mean? Yeah, uh, I, I think that's possibly definitely a factor because um, possibly definitely, what am I talking about? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> just an inherent contradiction there. Um, I think it's, that that's a factor because comedy is all about tension and release. And, you know, I feel like uh, for my audiences who end up being majority cis, there's a lot more tension because I think there's a lot of people like you who have just kind of like, I'm not sure how this is going to go and I'm worried that this is going to get offensive or that I'm going to laugh at the wrong moment. And so people <laughs> are just feeling like naturally like tense when they come on stage and not sure when they can laugh and... And then when they do laugh, they're relieved because they're laughing at the same time as everyone else and there's a much bigger release. Um, yeah, and I think that's kind of happening in the stories as well because it's just kind of, you know, I have a weird interaction with my mother, you know, and it's just kind of like, is she going to say something offensive about the trans thing? You know, it's this kind of elephant in the room regardless of whether the jokes are about that or not. But, yeah, like that's kind of what... But I think it's also... it's. I still think the, the specificity is a much more important thing. You know. Oh no, Devin, But I'm saying, like, are you saying you weren't specific? Before that, you would have been specific, but it would have been to the cis white experience, which is it's it's boring. I think it's more. I was trying to just kind of like um, not say anything that anyone would find unrelatable. You know, I think I see comedians doing that all the time. They're just kind of like, you know, be like, oh, you know, like I went to the shops because you know I'm going to talk about going to the shops. Everyone's been to the shops. You know, I'm like, no, talk about going to, like, the weird comic book store that you go to or talk about the, you know, the weird sex toy store that you go to or whatever. Like, talk about something that only you go to and only mm. you've got that insight to. And people will be like, I've never been to a sex toy store, but I have been to, you know, the board game store. Yeah. And it's so similar in so many weird different ways that I'm finding it fun. <laughs> you know. Someone who's judging someone who goes to a comic book store because they go to the board game store. No, but you know what I mean? Like, oh, like no, it's, it's, you it's, chose two hilariously similar. You know, but like, like or, or just kind of like people who are like, like, you know, like if you told a story about your dad being like madly obsessed with like watching chess, mm. you know, and watching chess videos online or something like that and be like, you might be there going like, oh, my dad doesn't watch chess. My dad couldn't give a shit about chess. But he does do the same thing with cricket, you know, and they'll find it funny because it, 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 the particulars don't matter, but the particulars actually make it for me feel more real and more relatable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Whereas and if you said he's really obsessed with sport, you'd be like, okay, it doesn't feel real. Yeah, yeah. And there's no connection. And that specificity, even if it becomes a more different experience, actually makes it more relatable, counterintuitively. Yeah. No, that's uh, that's very true. So I guess okay. So you're saying, yeah, I don't know, Superman, but I like him as a. <laughs> Hey, I, I'm not trying to just think about it. Let it, you know. Play I just love mind. it because it's one I've never even like. It's you've 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 said something which I've never even considered before. <laughs> the very concept, and I'm feeling my own internal biases rise up because yeah. I'm very I'm a very huge fan. Like he's he's my he's the A one I reckon of 
He's mythic. He's the best super, yeah. like, best superhero. Yeah. Best superhero. He's the prototype. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All superheroes are in his shadow. And and he's like, he's a good example of like, I think he's the most relatable to everyone as well. That's part of why I'm saying it because like the idea of the outsider, the person who's not two faces, but maybe there's someone you act like and then you've also got that Superman inside you and stuff like that. Like all that yeah. is something which I think is... And also the thing that kind of really separates him from a lot of superheroes is that the real version of him is the one doing the heroic stuff the that he's hiding, he's in the closet. Again, make him gay. Against it. <laughs> he's, he's, he's pretending to be this normal cishet dude every day at his job, whereas he really wants to wear this fabulous costume and fly around the city and let his true colours shine through, red, blue, and yellow. <laughs> See, now that... <laughs> Okay, look, you're right in a way. Superman That's... is a gay Latino, deep down, you know I th- it. I think, I, can... <laughs> I think you can definitely read it that way. I'm just saying, but uh... <laughs> I don't think we'd come here and end in this <laughs> get to this place. Superman is a gay Latino. Look, he can be. <laughs> I'll give him that. I uh, yes, okay. <laughs> I, I make we're a relab- strong argument. You're not going to be you're making a good. Yes, you bank a case, but specifically, but that's the people drawing that conclusion from it. But then you can do the other stuff of being like, you know, uh, his power un unchained or power that's tried to be controlled in that instance. So you know, there's other ways you can yeah. also deconstruct the character than just that one reading. Yeah. So you're saying to lean into that word, but again, it's because you can lean into anything and then lean away from it later. So yeah. it's like that's why you're not. You don't have to limit yourself to. It's Superman. Like you there'll said, be a different another Superman later on. Yeah. There'll be Superman in perpetuity, a thousand versions. Why not make one of them gay and Latino? It's amazing they haven't. Yeah. It's like a They're them. cowards. <laughs> They're cowards like you, George. <laughs> Look, I just don't want it, all right? Anna, I've had enough. I'm sick of it. They're taking away everything from us. <laughs> Who's they? Um, so, <laughs> we've really gone into... Usually this is way about, off into the weeds. Way off into the weeds, and usually this is about meant to be about you. So yeah. okay, <laughs> just put it back. <laughs> now, I do I do like you? That's opened my eyes though to that attitude towards the uh, Superman side of things. I like that, and and I guess to go back, it was something you were always interested in, but you felt since uh, transitioning, you felt like it was like more relevant. I guess you felt that more. It was more clear to you that that was going on. Is that right to say? That what was going that, on. Like that there was this one view of a lot of stories and this lack of flexibility in the representation. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm definitely feeling that. That the, there's one story that gets prioritized and kind of treated as default and put it pushed ahead of everything else. And it's it, that even when kind of queer and, um, you know, racially diverse characters and gender diverse characters and whatever show up there, the side story to teach the cis white male straight hero a lesson about the world, about <laughs> acceptance and tolerance, you know, yeah. that it's still, it's through that lens and kind of, yeah, you know, yeah. and, and especially like as a trans person, kind of like realizing that kind of like all the stories I see about trans people are made by cis people. And it's through, you know, it's my story through someone else's eyes, mm. you know, who doesn't understand my experience, you know, right. that, you know, all the trans characters are played by cis actors and all the trans films are directed by cis directors and written by cis writers and stuff like that. That's still the case now? Uh, it's changing, hmm. but it's changing very slowly. And, you know, if you look at the wealth of material that's still out there, it's just very, you know. Hmm. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. And imagine, you know, what that'd be like if, you know, all the stories about men were told by women. You know, yeah, yeah. How you'd feel. I'm relating. I understand. You know, <laughs> you, didn't to, you didn't need to switch it to my worldview for me. I'm like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. Imagine all the mid stories where what? No, how but I mean, like, you? like really, <laughs> no. Are you speaking? Really, imagine no, that. I know what like, you mean. like yeah, if, yeah. if the, all the stories got told by you were about, you know, all the women who knew, you, but never by you. How mm. would you feel about that? No, no. It'd be it, it seems, and especially like, I don't think there's anything wrong with anyone telling a story about anyone in terms of like that can exist, and there's beautiful things written like that across the board. But to only have that is, exactly. That's yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Which is kind of you know why I'm trying to like you know push myself out there and become the voice of a generation. <laughs> but, you know, it's kind of like I want to have be the person telling stories for my people. Yeah, yeah. You know, and for cis people to be able to hear stories told from a trans point of view and understand it from someone who's lived it rather than from outside it. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of the direction you want. Because like, I mean, the other thing obviously is the the ultimate, I guess, sign of the normalization is when the stories have nothing to do with that. Kind of, you know what I mean? Yeah, and when it becomes a background detail. Yeah, exactly. You know, like, because then it's just a, just a trans you know, character that's on the... Which, again, like, that's that's the thing of just kind of every man, a story about a straight white cis man is about them learning to be a hero or them learning about this or, you know, about perseverance or courage or whatever. Whereas every story about a trans person is about being trans, you know? And every yeah. story about a gay person is about being gay, you know? It becomes, like, the identity becomes the entire experience. Mm. Yeah, and no, I think I uh, you still see that with race a lot in uh, Australian television. So one of my mates is a, an actor, but I'd be aware of it. It's like where if they've been, it's like if there's going to be an Arabic person on Neighbours, it's going to be mentioned. <laughs> like it's not going to be just yeah, like they're not they're not going to be there. Like, and it, my cousin was praying to Allah. Like, yeah, why does it? <laughs> yeah, the Arabic person is going to be there, and you know, have this story about infidelity, or have this story about falling in love, or have this story about you know getting caught cheating or being fired or anything like that. It's going to be about them being persecuted for their race or. So, like that, or yeah. someone else's intolerance and them teaching them through or, you know, them struggling with their religion or whatever, you know. Mm. No, that's, that's uh, yeah, it's about, like, it's, uh, that, that's the end goal, eventually. 
Yeah, I guess. But for now, it's like just to see the stories told more yeah. by people within that community is what the goal is right now. Yeah. I mean, in terms of representation, you can pair those, like, again, those little social justice, you know, top five, the trans people are the ones least represented and least represented well, you know, and yeah. least often telling our own stories. And uh, again, I think it's the latest on the scene as well, I guess, probably. Like, I'm not saying as anyone, they haven't been around forever, but I'm saying as in terms of... Uh, in terms of representation? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, people have been telling trans stories since, you know, the beginning of media and that's just, yeah, it's always mythic or fantastical or uh, a joke or, yeah. And it's always... Yeah, it's not. It's never a whole story. It's always a gag. It's kind of like you know, oh, you know, the girl you took on a date turns out he was a dude. You know, it's yeah, like, right, that one, and yeah. it's just brushed off like as a side point in a sitcom rather than like an actual story that's yeah, delved yeah. into. Okay, right. That's, yeah. that's actually, I was I was reading a uh, you know the Wizard of Oz series. Yes, uh, Frank Hellborn. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't know the second the second book, and I'm like, what? This is like a trans character in the wizard of oz i haven't read them oh spoiler alert (laughs) i should have said spoiler alert before saying that but yeah it's a not in any like obvious like you know as in it's still allegorical and all that stuff but it's very much as the boys then they're like oh no you're a girl and they're like oh and it's a girl from then on and it's not in anything it's not an issue it's just (laughs) yeah i was surprised i'm like oh this is this is maybe it was fine now it's political (laughs) yeah but i mean it wasn't it was kind of it was more treated as like a fantasy mm. in, in kind of like older stories you know no one ever kind of you know like oh you you were born this way and you can live this other way or whatever no one thought that and realized that that was possible or you know the people who did realize it were very much on the fringes of marginal society and not given the power to make their own stories um so, so that's why that would actually- so it's just kind of it was, it was always like a magic thing you're like oh you magically turn into a girl and, and this is all like spell- rather than an actual kind of like an authentic experience mm. You know, and maybe that could be a lot of the time because, uh, and, and when people realized it was a real possibility, is when you start getting that backlash against it. Like, no, 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 we were fine with this, you know, the same way you would be if there was a magic spell in a book to turn someone into a dog. You're like, they're a dog now, that's fine. Whereas, you imagine the backlash if someone started being like, I actually want to be a dog. You're like, no, that's not possible. Mm. You know, the difference between you can't actually turn into a dog, but you can't be born in the wrong gender. Yeah, yeah. And I guess that's, a, that's an interesting point, actually, about the technology change that made it more possible as a. Or it's just a social change, even. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, because it wasn't a breakthrough in surgery or hormones or anything like that. It was just a breakthrough in people having their voices heard, mm. you know, because it's not the hormones or the surgery or any technology that makes me a woman. It's just me having the confidence to actually say it out loud. You know? Yeah. No, no, yeah. I guess that's the... And the awareness that that's something which, yeah, I guess you can... Yeah. Like that that idea can exist so you can understand that feeling is... Yeah. Is that... Yeah. Rather than something else. Because the distinction that um, people who aren't trans don't realize is that, you know, using that kind of magic dog analogy that is like, species isn't a social construct, but gender is. You know, gender mm-hmm. is, is an arbitrary invented thing by society and that you can have an association with something outside of what you've been told you're meant to be, mm. where you can't really have that with animals. <laughs> no. That's a... Yeah, like I mean, it's a classic. Like what? Uh, again, this is I'm I'm not I'm uh, very much a <laughs> naive on a lot of this, but like the idea is that sex is one thing, but gender is the one that is the. Discussion. I mean, sex is also a bit of a construct when you get into it. There's this like on the fringe case. <laughs> there, there is definitely like some crossover, but in yeah, terms of like there's a pretty yeah. Distinct there, there, <laughs> there, there's two poles that it tends to correlate with, but there's yeah. a lot of fuzzy areas in between. Mm. Um, 
yeah, they're they and I think gender's the same way. I think they're both things where you know majority have fallen into one of two you know major poles and people have gone like well then everyone falls into those things and anyone who's in between in any way or you know who has a mismatch between one of those two is an aberration and anomaly a liar delusion or whatever mm. i mean that's yeah i guess that's the that's what people kind of fall into that simplistic kind of yeah very of binary thinking yeah yeah i mean like i can understand uh <laughs> it's funny like i think the i think younger people are going to be very chilled about it <laughs> as like people grow up more i think it's gonna just there's that case where just the more information gets out there the more people get to understand the concept of it yeah um but you can also understand <laughs> understand whether it justifies or not that fear reaction for people like growing up like yeah i mean they weren't exposed to it and they're becoming more exposed now yeah and, yeah and it's a big change to adjust to if you haven't grown up with yeah yeah oh man with- yeah <laughs> they're all crazy but okay we've gone this might be a record for the longest I've gone without actually mentioning the book. <laughs> Sorry, I'll, I'll try and be less interesting. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> that's all right. I mean, this is like, or we can tie this in as ask questions about the book. So, the book that we've chosen for this is amazing. This is by far the longest. So sorry. That's okay. We've got Stephen King's It. Yes. Yes. Now, I don't think I don't think we need. Do we need to explain? Do you want to give a brief summary of what it's about? I guess everyone's seen it, but I guess just in case. I mean, let's see the movie. the The book I think is very different than either of its adaptations, and uh, it's a very dense, heavy book. Literally, it's heavy. It's I think my copy is about fourteen hundred pages or something like that. Oh wow! Um, oh, sorry, eleven hundred pages. I think it was nah, nothing. <laughs> But it, it's a huge, and then and that's the tiny paperback version that still, you know, weighs, you know, a, a half a kilo. I love, yeah, you've you've got this with you. I'm holding it in my hand right now, and it's yeah, you're right. This is like this it's tiny right. So but, love, but yeah, that's a yeah, big... both adaptations kind of like inevitably cut out a lot of it, and also both adaptations, um, the the Tim Curry 1990 version and the two movie adaptation that came out just recently, they they both make it a lot less weird than it is. Oh, really? Because I heard that... Uh, I haven't actually seen any of them, amazingly. Uh, even though I've heard the part one of the new ones was good. Yeah. The second one was a bit... No, not that good. The second one's not as good as the first. But, you know, they they capture a lot of the tone. They're pretty good adaptations. It's a very difficult book to adapt. So, it's basically these five... Uh, these seven children, sorry. Um, who Spoiler. <laughs> I'm guessing, but now, yeah, seven children, yeah. Seven children. Um, they call themselves the Losers Clubs. They're all these kind of like misfits and outcasts and whatever in this small town called Derry in Maine in uh, the USA. And um, they end up coming across this shape-shifting evil creature that steals and kills children um, that they end up calling It. Because mm-hmm. it's they don't have a name for it and they can't think of a name for it and it appears in multiple different forms. It appears quite often as you know your worst fear, um, and its most popular form that people know by is Pennywise the clown, which is a lot of people are like oh it's about this scary killer clown. It's like no, it's about this weird shape shifting demonic creature from another universe, and it's them as children and then them as again as adults when they're. When it comes back, um, twenty six years later, I think it is. Is that like half the book age, basically? 
Kind of, but um, when, if you watch the the movie, the movies, the the new movies, they do one where there is children and one where there is adults, and they kind of um, glide past a lot of the fact that it, there's a weird kind of almost time travel aspect to it, and that stuff that happens in the present day kind of ripples back to them as kids, oh. especially near the end. Okay, because they do this kind of ritual to defeat. Let's well, not spoil it completely, I guess. But. Yeah, but they do this ritual to defeat it at one point, and then they try and recreate that same ritual, and then kind of end up crossing over and kind of being oh, connected wow. across those time streams. And it's just a supremely like weird book, you know, where it's not just kind of like they happen to be fighting it. it kind of as the book goes on, it becomes clear that some other kind of like good cosmic force that's out there. You know, this giant turtle has brought them together <laughs> as kind of like, you know, has chosen them to be the ones to fight this demonic okay, creature. Okay, so it gets, so it gets very... Uh... It gets weird. It gets cosmic. Yeah, yeah. You know, it crosses like, you know, multiple generations and... That's... Oh, cool. It's yeah. funny because like I... Uh... I've read no, so I've got a friend, another friend of mine. She loves, adores Stephen King. <laughs> Sounds like yeah, you guys should start a club. But uh, she got me on. She's like, because I've always heard of his thing, and like uh, he's got a book on writing and stuff. And he's generally considered someone who's like obviously pop, not pop culture, like like he's a popular writer. Like he writes yeah. stuff which is sells basically. Yeah. Uh, so not that I had anything against that, but I was like, ah, oh, it's probably something I read, but it's like whatever. And then uh, she was like, you should really read it. So I ended up reading Misery. And The Shining, because I love The Shining movie. Yeah. And both of them, so good. So yeah. good. And, bo- and both I love because they're both examples of like a story where it's there's nothing like as in to make this interesting is a gift because it's like a guy and a, is some well, a woman holding him hostage and stat for a book. And you're like, how can yeah. you? Like, so he's, I was impressed by his writing, but something like that, because of its sheer size, <laughs> I've always like, if he's a pop like I don't know, I I wasn't sure if there was a disconnect between because obviously those books I'm just mentioning they're a lot shorter. Yeah, this is a that's a big book that one. Yeah, and you're saying it's just great, whole way through. It's it's yeah, I mean, it's a lot of people call it his magnum opus, mm. you know, or his best book. The the other contenders because he's written so many would be the Stand or the Dark Tower series, um, as like the big league most Stephen King type things that you could read that kind of like encompass all his best qualities. But it's it's not big because it, like people are like, oh, that must be like it's about a killer clown and it's eleven hundred pages. There must be a lot of filler. Yeah, uh, but I think they kind of like don't maybe realize how Stephen King writes in that every single character gets like fully fleshed out. Mm. So you've got these seven kids who are fighting it. Each one of them kind of gets fully developed as this like different child, and they've got you know their their own backstories and their own family situations. You know. Beverly, who has like an abusive father, and then Eddie, who's got this like hypochondriac mother, and kind of like inflicts that upon him. And you know, they each get these like really developed full backstories. Then you get full kind of like characterization for the bullies that torment them, for for it as a character, <laughs> for you know the, <laughs> Just- the pharmacist, you know, who ends up getting like the, you know, like they they all like they. But that's what makes it such a fantastic book is that it feels so real and lived yeah. in and authentic, and it, there's so much like detail, all of it fascinating, and all of it feels so like real that you're like you feel immersed. Yeah. You know, it does. It, like, I feel like I read a lot, of, a lot of other books from a lot of people, and like the main character is fleshed out. Maybe the love interest is fleshed out, or whatever. And then everyone else is like, 
a trope or mm. a kind of like a filling character, you know, just yeah, kind yeah. of like, <laughs> you know, one of these types, I'm going to give you the bare details, but you know this kind of character and I don't need to flesh them yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas everyone, and then again, they become adults and you get like, okay, and now that character that you know so well, here's them fully fleshed out. As an adult. And here's all the stuff that kind of happened. In the, the and here's how they've changed. And, you know, so the fact that, like, Bill is this, like, nervous, stuttering child who has to, like, work up the courage and has to get over the grief of, like, losing his brother. And then as an adult, he's become this horror writer who has this wife and is successful now. And you kind of get that sense of, like, oh, like, that's a different character that's connected to the old one. There's definitely, like, a through line that you can follow that makes sense, but it's also th- completely different because everyone's a different character after 30 years. Yeah, yeah, know? yeah. It's it, so it's capturing that change that can happen to everyone, yeah. Like that, time. and also, and that's I think what makes it a great novel is kind of like how that that change is like of, of like what happens to people over generations and how much they do change and how much they don't in some ways, mm. and those kind of like you know the parallels between the past life and the or, or the, the younger self and the old self, life and, yeah, yeah, or the young self and the older self. That's interesting because like I mean that that idea of change, how people change over the years, uh, I think it's always interesting because it's. The fundamentals of someone, what are they? I don't know. But I always feel like that's stuff that doesn't change that much. As much as people might change in like some details or whatever, I feel like they're actually still very much the same sort of person from a kid all the way through. That's always been like just when I look at people, I'm like, you, you, nothing about this would be surprise me from 10 years old to 30. I'm like, I, you're still very it's, similar in it's that way. stuff that I think um, you can't always predict, but it always makes sense in hindsight. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like I and like for for me personally, I think a lot of people look at me, you know, looking at me as a kid wouldn't have predicted that I'd end up as this, you know, out open, you know, successful trans woman or whatever. But I think a lot of them would be able to go like, now that I think about it, that makes sense, you know. That explains so much. That connects to all these different. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, no. That's that's actually exactly what like I kind of mean because they might be getting distracted by side stuff or not real like in fruit. Okay, with what you're saying there. Is that because you were less confident, you're saying, when you were younger? Or you I was saying- a lot less confident. I was a lot shyer, a lot more introverted. You know, didn't really have a lot of friends, wasn't really social. Um, and I don't think anyone would kind of like look at me and be like, well, this is going to be this, you know, bright, extroverted, flamboyant person as an adult. But I think the other way around, looking at me and going like, oh, that makes sense why you were like that as a kid. And now that I, you know. Yeah, so like the, the thing there is, the, I guess that almost sounds like, as a kid, you were actually kind of getting repressed or you weren't being able to express yeah. who you were. So that's why you weren't seeing the full person there, which you're now seeing. Yeah. Which is different. To, like, obviously, some people might go the other way as well. Yeah. <laughs> but, in- but I mean, you know, uh, like using Stephen King's it as as an example, you know, the, the characters in that, like um, Ben, who as an adult in the book is this very successful, very handsome architect, spends a lot of time working out but he's kind of lonely. And then as a kid, he's the fat kid that everyone makes fun of, you know? And it's kind of like one of those things where you kind of go like, oh, that makes sense in hindsight. Yeah. You know, it makes sense that this, you know, fat kid would grow up to be this person who really focuses on being attractive and to try and get past that loneliness he felt as a child. But also you wouldn't look at him expecting him to turn out that way. You would yeah, look at yeah. the fat kid and be like, "He's going to be fit and hot and attractive when he's older." Yeah, exactly. And you could, and 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 converse. You could be looking at the the adult, and you could be like, "Oh, that was a fat kid when they were younger." Like, yeah, and you could miss that. But then there are parts which tie it together, yeah. certain through lines or strings that make it like, okay, this is still the same kind of person, but they've gone in this direction with it. Yeah, 
That, and that's, I think, one of the things I find really fascinating about the entire book is like how much the past inevitably impacts the future and how much, you know, your problems currently can be rooted there, you know? Well, uh, yeah, again, like, again, that's another one where I'm like, like, as in problems as in something happened then that's causing you to think now or personality problems which don't change with time if you don't confront them. All, all, all of those things are just kind of like, and that, you know, the environment you grow up in determines the environment that you're going to be living in somewhat when you're older. And like a lot of the book explores that kind of, you know, struggle between, um, kind of fate and free will mm. you know about like kind of you know you can have control and change your outcome and stuff like that but also if you're not exercising that free will you are kind of like fated to end up in the same situations that you started out in you know yeah. and that happens to like some of the characters as they're adults like they didn't exert enough free will and have enough self-reflection or whatever so um eddie who is you know tormented by his hypochondriac mother who forces all this medication and stuff on him ends up dating a woman who's also a hypochondriac as an adult and ends up in that same situation and it happens with um beverly who's got an abusive father who ends up having an abusive husband uh, it's amazing how much like, I, even in my own life i've seen people who fall into that cycle it's just crazy because they don't realize it's almost like you get they grew up getting used to a person acting a certain way towards them so then they just almost took that they got good at working with that so yeah it's like that energy then there's comfort in the same trauma yeah you know (laughs) that's that's a good way it's it's the devil you know yeah yeah, it's comfort in the same trauma it's like oh i remember this i've had this for 30 years this put me to bed every night yeah Okay, right. That's interesting. So that's a good way of putting it. Uh, but yeah, no. The, I guess so. So talking about it. So the change then, it just because it, it's an interesting thing you mentioned there, uh, because you're saying how because like my head all automatically goes when I think of kids. Generally, you almost think of them as more expressive and more free, and then society kind of welds them into a certain shape as they get older. You know what I mean? But yeah. like you're saying how there's a lot of instances where maybe it's the opposite. People because of the side they're born in there as kids feeling that constraint on them but then as they get old and develop they can actually break free of that yeah i i i i I think people will think of kids as like carefree and expressive but i mean i I think back to my own childhood and i don't know if you relate to this but just kind of like filled with authority figures who are telling you how to be and you spent so much time like navigating that world being confused you know going like i don't know how i'm meant to be i don't know what the rules are i feel like i get in trouble if i do things and i don't know why they're bad things to do you know yeah yeah. and i i feel like there's so much confusion as a child where you're just kind of like i just want to survive especially if like you're an outcast in school if you're you know one of the nerdy kids or one of the unpopular kids you know yeah like if you're popular or charming or handsome or you're naturally doing what society wants you to do yeah it's fun and carefree it's so easy yeah but if you're not into sport and everyone else is into sport and you don't get it and everyone's like be yourself but also why aren't you playing footy like the other kids and you're like i'm which of those am i meant to do i don't understand these rules don't make sense yeah yeah <laughs> yeah okay. i know that one it's like uh, people say that when they're dating they're like be yourself and then you're like but don't be weird and you're like what if they're the same yeah i need to warm people up to the weirdness <laughs> yeah but that's that's the thing i think for, and that's i think what the book captures really well is that kind of thing of like that you know feeling nerdy and feeling outcast and you know all the, they're, they're all these weird kids with these specific interests you know like one of the kids richie is like this he, he ends up being like a comedian as he gets older but he's just constantly doing impressions and everyone's like, knock it off. Why are you doing this shitty British voice all the time? You know, because he's this weird kid and he doesn't know how. Yeah. And yeah. the only people who kind of like tolerate it to a certain extent are the other people in the Losers Club. Yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> that's, that's Okay. That's that's true. Yeah. So, I guess um, to go to what you mentioned there though, so you were saying, so you, I'm guessing looking around me, you were a huge reader? 
yeah. your whole life. I spent a, a lot of lunch times in the library as a yeah, child. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like that, and that was a passion of yours always. Yeah, stuff? but I think it was also a respite. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, you reckon it was that as well? Yeah, I think it was just kind of, you know, go somewhere else where, you know, I don't have to be me for half an hour or an hour or whatever. All right. Okay. To that degree, you're saying. So not just like because maybe you were getting shunned, but you also just wanted to go to another place. Yeah. We're just kind of like, this world sucks. Let's go to a different one. <laughs> All right. Okay. So, like, the proper escapism sort of thing. For yeah. The sake of getting which, I, again, which is why I think you'll see a lot of, like, sci-fi fantasy, horror fiction and stuff like that. I look, yeah. I'm, I'm a big sci-fi fantasy guy myself. <laughs> but it's a, lot, it's a lot of escapist speculative stuff. I don't have a lot of realistic, grounded fiction in my yeah, bookshelves. Yeah. Okay. And that's because, like, maybe you enjoy that realm going into that yeah. other place. Like, further away, I guess. And also, like you said... uh Maybe some of that speculative fiction is actually more suits the kind of like who you were going through and stuff like that in terms of the outsider kind of point of view yeah. rather than Victorian literature. <laughs> Something like that, which you might not feel is relating to. Yeah, but it's also just kind of like uh, uh, all the speculative stuff is just kind of like, let's go somewhere where weird stuff is treated as kind of somewhat normal, mm. you know? Yeah, yeah like, uh, and that's something you liked even back, let's say, before, like obviously realizing who you were and all that sort of stuff to that degree. Um, it's like... I'm saying that, phrasing that all right. <laughs> I'm always saying, uh, you're so worried that you're going to get cancelled, aren't you? <laughs> Look, no, I just don't want to... Uh, this act- always happens. Like, I, I don't. I always get this when I'm around straight male comedians where they're just kind of like, I'm going to say the wrong thing and my career is going to be over. <laughs> Mine's more like, I just, I just never want to... I never want to accidentally cause offence by... Uh, I have a tendency in most conversations with people to phrase things poorly because yeah. I think in my head things and then when I say them, people take them a different way. So I, I guess I'm just more hyper aware of that right now. Yeah. <laughs> I, my, my general rule of thumb is I won't be upset by anyone who's not trying to upset me. You know? Oh, okay. Uh, just if, if you're asking with the right intention, I'm like, I can correct you. If you get the language wrong, that's fine. It's new for a lot of people. Mm. It's just, it's, yeah. I just yeah, a lot of people are scared <laughs> talking to me. I'm like, I'm like, and I think that's one of those kind of things where it's like, it just shows the, uh, like, I'm guessing that's reflective of a lot of people in the same situation. And then because of maybe I don't interact with the community as much as, like, you know, maybe I should, or just because of my background and stuff. Yeah. I'm not used to that attitude. So I'm kind of going in gingerly. I'm like, oh, I don't want to yeah. say the wrong thing here. Yeah, it's funny. It's like when I'm on stage and if like I say anything, even though I, I, anything racially related at all, it's not not even even like loosely and the whole crowd would just tense up being like, oh, I don't want to be here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm scared right now. But I, I don't think there are people, you know, of a diverse background who are like, how dare he or he's going to, they're just, they're people like you who are like, oh, is he going to, am I going to yeah, no, laugh at the wrong thing? You know? Yeah. It's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the people who aren't actually impacted by any of the issues of it. <laughs> they're the ones that get nervous because they're like, oh, I don't know how to handle this scenario. Like, just chill out. Relax. Yeah. 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 That's true. Okay. All right. I'm kicking back. I'm kicking back. <laughs> okay. Um, I, probably, I guess one thing I want to ask about is, so is it horror your, your, your jam or is it? Horror is my biggest jam. Yeah. I, yeah. I, yeah. I read a lot of horror novels. Okay. And does that translate over to movies and everything like that? Yeah, I mean, I, I I watch a lot of horror movies. I don't watch a lot of horror TV shows. I feel like it's horror, horror it's and comedy of, are the same thing deep down, which is why I'm kind of like really into both of them because they're all tension and release. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've heard that a lot of people comment that and that's why like Get Out was very... Uh, people talked about a lot of that time yeah. because he was obviously a comedian director yeah. and then he made that movie. I guess like uh, it's weird for me because horror actually is probably one of my least consumed genres out of everything 
like uh, even uh, apart from erotic fiction, I don't, I don't really read erotic fiction. But apart, I mean, in a certain sense, that's also tension and release. It's <laughs> true as well. Yeah, yeah. So we've got three now. So it's comedy, horror, and erotic fiction. That's so funny. Um, but yeah, it's just funny because I had never gotten into it. Uh, horror. I don't know why. It's its own genre that I just never really. Because I'm guessing that's another one which it's not really. It all goes under the same label but they're all hugely different from each other. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's so many different kinds of horror stories. You know, there's haunted houses and then there's monsters and then there's, you know, serial killers and, you know, different kinds of threats. There's body horror. There's, you know, yeah, possession, you know, all these different types of scary things that you can kind of, you know, face, you know, and even stuff like Invasion of the Body Snatchers where, it, you know, this kind of like sweeping plague and stuff like that. Mm. Um, but yeah, I... I, I I'm someone who's obsessed with comedy, you know, as a comedian, as someone who's performing all the time. And I see so many kind of like parallels in like how they're regarded as well, you know, not just kind of like how they're constructed, oh, but okay. it's just kind of like, I feel like there's a lot of snobbery around kind of horror and comedy. Um, whereas just kind of think of like, oh, it's just kind of like, it's only meant to shock you and there's nothing beneath it. And people like that about comedy where like, oh, it's not art. It's just a bunch of dumb jokes, you know? Yeah, and they're like that about horror. Like it's just a bunch of jump scares, you know. It's this thing of just kind of like that where they assume that there can't be anything of substance beneath that because it's so designed for a specific reaction, you know. Right. Okay. So you you see that similarity between the two, and yeah, I guess the dismissal of it, yeah. as, as an art form. But I think I think that's kind of like it's that's in my mind it's a feature, not a bug. That they can kind of be um, lowbrow, which means that they can discuss a lot of, you know, taboo topics because they were already dismissed as being lowbrow, you know. So, com- comedy can get into sexuality and stuff like that, and horror can as well, and can get into kind of like these taboo topics of like how we talk about dead people and, you know, how we approach grief, and you know, or how we approach differently, you know, you can get into that in a way that you can't when you're trying to be respectable. You know, you can tackle these taboos head on because if you're going to be offensive, it's like, well, who cares? You know? Yeah, no, I'm already been dismissed. Yeah, that's actually that's an interesting, it's a really interesting angle that I'd, n- I'd never considered before. Yeah, because yeah, like as in because it's it's already occupying that realm of maybe I guess the fringes in yeah. that sense. Um, it can just play there. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be in a weird way. Even though it's got these genre conventions that it's tied to it, at the same time it's actually more free because it's can do whatever. Yeah. yeah, I feel like yeah, you're writing high class literary fiction. You've got this thing of like. Can I talk about this? If I talk about it, I make sure I have to I make sure I have to handle it in the right way and I don't upset people or whatever. Whereas comedy and horror both have this thing of like, I've already upset people from the get-go, you know, or you know, people aren't listening and taking me seriously anyway. So why not just tackle the taboos head on and talk about these things people don't want to talk about and see what I can get out of it? Yeah. Okay. And you so see, yeah, I guess I get to type back, I guess, and you can be just a bit more overt in the stuff that you're talking about as yeah. well. Yeah, and you're like, I don't necessarily need to be subtle mm. because it's not a subtle art form. Mm. You know, you can be subtle in comedy, you can be subtle in horror, but you don't have to be. Yeah. Especially because if you get the reaction that you're after, it's just kind of, you know, like people people are going to watch a comedy show and be like, oh, it's a bit on the nose. And it's like, but people laughed. Does it really matter if it wasn't subtle? It got a big reaction. It got the reaction it was designed to get. Everyone walked out happy. You know, and just kind of like, oh, it wasn't really subtle, this Stephen King book. I'm like, yeah, but you don't want to sleep with the lights off. So, it did what it was meant to do, you know? Yeah, yeah. It, 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 it's popularized scary clowns forever. <laughs> I think yeah. That's, yeah, so it definitely worked. I, mean, I, 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 I guess maybe I should 
Maybe I should read it. You yeah. should definitely read it. I think it's like, I think maybe it's time. It's I think I think all comedians should get into horror. I think there's yeah, so much kind of crossover in what they do. Yeah, you know, in terms of just like the build up and the release and the yeah, the tension and release and how it's constructed and you know how it's perceived and what it can do and what its strengths are and right. Yeah, yeah, I, they're very yeah. similar art forms. And were you always like, uh, and I thought it was probably because we we're getting a bit long now, so I have to close this off. But I guess one thing I would ask is, were you always both horror and comedy in- interested forever? Did yeah. you always kind of see that connection between the two? Was that something that came later? Or? I think the connection to came later. I was always interested in the two, but I don't think I ever drew the connection until, you know, um, I mean, the last kind of like five or ten years as, you know, I've got more analytical and self-aware and stuff like that and kind of you know like why am i interested in both these things like oh because they're secretly the same thing in many ways all right okay yeah but you'll be you're actually independently i get independently interested in each one yeah yeah oh that's interesting yeah like just because like uh i could understand almost more if you built constructed this concept then that's why you like them both but you just like both yeah i just happen to like both and then just kind of like why am i into both of these things you know yeah but but when it comes down to books, it's uh, horror all the way by the look of it. Yeah, I read a lot of horror. You know, I think I think there's something beautiful about something that's designed for a specific reaction. You know, oh, okay, and, right. and and I think that's a really interesting thing that other art forms don't have, and that other genres specifically don't have. Rather, um, you know, that you read a science fiction novel or a crime novel or whatever, and it's less easy to kind of like, did this do what it intended to do? And you'd be like, well, the mystery wasn't really that hard to figure out. Like, yeah, but that wasn't the point, you know? And like, you can keep moving the goalposts about whether or not it's successful. Whereas like with horror and with comedy, you can kind of go like, scared me, really bloody scared me. Or really like, I laughed the entire time. I laughed real hard. Like there's a real kind of like pass and fail and kind of, I feel like they're both genres that function not just as art, but also kind of like that craft of like it's constructed for a purpose. Like that, like furniture and stuff like that it could be like it's a beautiful object, but can I sit in it? It's funny. It's like it's like in some realms you're like I don't, I don't think you think clearly labeling things is incorrect, but in others you're like I like the fact that this has a clear label on it and it does what it says on the tin. Yeah, but I just I just like that that's a kind of like internal barometer that anyone in those art forms has to meet. You know, that you can kind of, you, when you're making your own comedy, when you're writing your jokes and stuff like that, you can have all these other concerns about like, is this smart? Is this original? Is this saying something new? Is this, you know, all these other things, you know, is it, you know, am I exploring this topic as I feel, fully as I could? Whatever. But you always have that thing of like, did I do the job? You know, did they laugh? can I sit in the chair? It might be pretty, it might be beautiful, but people need to sit in the chair. Can people sit in the chair? And I like that kind of, you know, standard, that a, a bare minimum you have to meet that I don't think is present necessarily in all other art forms and all other genres. And I guess, like, by having that bare minimum that people have to meet, it means that they can... Uh, you then judge everything outside of it as well, kind of. Like, because you've got these laughs in there, then you're like, okay, now where did it differ from that? So, it almost gives you, like, yeah. a grounding starting point. And then you can like go off in lots of different directions. So it actually, in some ways, can actually, like you said, open it up to more people because all of a sudden they've got the unifying thing, which is the laugh or the scare. Yeah. And then from there, you're telling a million other things that you bring people in with that yeah. initial thing. So yeah. Yeah. And you can get in stuff under the radar because people are so focused on whether or not they're laughing or whether or not they're scared that they're not um, having that kind of like internal check of being like, do I agree with this? Yes. You know, like they—they they, <laughs> like, should I be bigoted about this? Like yeah, you're, if you're a good it. enough comedian, you make people laugh. They don't think about whether or not they agree with you until after the show. That's true. 
Okay, well, I think I should probably call it off there. That's that's a nice place to end it, actually. I always ask people the same thing whenever I do uh, finish the episode, even though we only talked about it for two minutes. But uh, do you feel like you learned anything new about Stephen King's It from this conversation? Um, yeah, I feel like I, I maybe reflected a little bit more on that kind of like passage of time and change and, you know... Especially when they're going like, oh, I'm someone who did change quite a lot from when I was a kid. And then maybe I exercised a bit more of the free will than some of the characters in the book were able to do in their own journeys. Oh, I'm glad. So, All right. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. I know you've been a big treat to your strike. Do you want to plug anything? Is there anything you want to plug? Uh, I don't have anything to plug at the moment because the pandemic, but you can always follow me Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at Anna Piper Scott. I'm sure I'll have something new there to promote within a month or so. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll, I'll put links of that up everywhere. Well, thank you very much, Anna. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Thanks for listening. If you want to help support this show and all the other shows we do here at Sanspants Radio, then why not subscribe to sanspantsplus.com? For as little as $5 a month, you could have access to a whole bunch of bonus shows and content. Once again, that's sanspantsplus.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's stamps.com, code PROGRAM. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.